It's true that some things change as we get older. But if you're a woman over 40 and you're dealing with insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, and weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. And with MIDI Health, you can get help and stop pushing through it alone. The experts at MIDI understand that all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes that happen around menopause. And MIDI can help you feel more like yourself again. Many healthcare providers aren't trained to treat or even recognize menopause symptoms. MIDI clinicians are menopause experts. They're dedicated to providing safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions for dozens of hormonal symptoms, not just hot flashes. Most importantly, they're covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. You deserve to feel great. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. USCHO.com. Welcome to USCHO Weekend Review for Monday, October 17th, 2022, where each week we look back at the highlights of the weekend and the news of the week. This podcast is sponsored by DCU Digital Federal Credit Union. What will DCU mean to you? Find out today by visiting dcu.org. Membership required. I'm Ed Trefsker alongside Jim Conley and Derek Schooley. Well, gentlemen, uh, we're going to say this a lot during the season, but down goes number one. And not once, but twice, UMass with a sweep over Denver. So what do you make of this? And then we'll ask a follow-up to all of us. What team is our number one? Well, did I not say last week when we were talking about Denver, after they won the icebreaker, that we would know a lot more if they were for real or not? We talked about it being trophy season and a feel-good story, all that kind of stuff. But I said they're really going to get tested this week, and obviously they did. Um, I, I thought the I thought it was uh, really. I watched parts of Friday's game flipping back. ESPN's plus ESPN Plus is great right now. I got flow hockey on the computer. Um, there's a lot going on in college hockey that we're going to get to, but that game was electric. The atmosphere was outstanding. You had NHL guys uh, betting who uh, Kale McCarr and O'Connor on Denver wearing each other's shirts on uh, sweeps. I mean, what a what a neat thing to have in, in college hockey so early in the year. But I predicted it right off the bat uh, when we talked about the Icebreaker Championship. Yeah, I, I was very, very impressed with UMass this weekend. Uh, two very different types of games. Uh, Denver just they kind of laid an egg out of the gate on Friday night. They got a major power play less than 40 seconds into the game. And instead of taking advantage, it made me think right back to that 2019 national semifinal where we had, I think, three majors in the first two periods. And then, of course, the the famous uh, Trevino hit that didn't get penalized, but there was a suspension the next day. School Schools, I think you were familiar being on the committee for that one. Uh, but yeah, I got know, to it, see that in, in detail. Yeah, you know, that made, that was immediately my thought. But then instead of, you know, Denver coming out and popping a power play goal or two right away on the major, they gave up four odd man rushes and two of them end up in the back of their net. And listen, UMass, I think, scored in their first three shots and had three goals on six shots through the first period. They were not exactly, you know, exactly blowing things out. 
but they had a three nothing lead, expanded it to four nothing on a bad goal in the second period. And you know, Denver actually made a comeback. They pulled their goalie with eight minutes left, almost nine minutes left, scored twice, uh, hit a post, almost made it four three. But you know, it was just one of those games that got away from Denver. So I I, I expected a big response the next night. Instead, a really fluky goal goes in in the first minute of the game and Denver just never got it back together. They played better. They looked better. They were attacking the net more. But at the end of the day, they still ended up without a goal, get shut out 3 nothing. So they come out east, play UMass, a team that everybody's been having question marks about. And in two nights, they put up one goal. Or I'm sorry, two goals. And both of them came in extra attacker situations. So it was not a good five-on-five weekend for Denver. Uh, they just, they at times just didn't look like a team that should be the number one cl- team in the country. Well, with that, how about uh, who's going to be number one? I, I was looking at uh, some of the tally. I don't see the ballots, but I see as they're being tallied as they come in. And uh, this is a tough one for people. I think personally, well, I, I gave the nod uh, narrowly to Minnesota and, and the Golden Gophers had the advantage of not playing this weekend. So nothing bad could happen to them. Uh, We talked about them as being one of the top teams and maybe right behind them is the team we're going to talk about next Minnesota state. But where would you, who would you put number one right now? I actually, maybe, maybe I was a little bit out on the limb with this, but I was impressed with uh, Quinnipiac. You know, they should have had a sweep of North Dakota on the road this week. They blew a four, one lead on Friday night, actually fell behind five, four in that game before tying it and ended up, uh, that ended up being the final score after the the overtime. But then they responded with a 6-2 win over North Dakota on the road. I think Quinnipiac is a very legit team right now. That is uh, one of the clubs that I will have my eye on all year. So they got number one on my ballot this week. Well, why don't we talk about that weekend with North Dakota and Quinnipiac now that you brought it up? You know, I saw that uh, early lead by them and I said, okay, my pick of Quinnipiac over North Dakota on Friday was pretty good. And then uh, the Fighting Hawks came back in that one. But as the home team, uh, getting a tie for Quinnipiac uh, against the home team, North Dakota, almost feels like a win, although I'm sure for uh, the Bobcats, it felt like they blew that one and lost that win. But then to come back huge the next night is uh, pretty enormous. When you start calculating what this will mean to the RPI at the end of the season, that's pretty huge. Even a tie on the road, you know, getting 1.2 uh, for you know times the value of a tie, I'd take that. And then you add in 1.2 times the value of a win the next night. That is that that becomes a weekend that feels like you got almost 80 percent of what was available. Plus, they're going to get bonus points in the RPI because no doubt North Dakota will be a top 20 team. But I think I am right. It's it's better than 80% of the points available on the weekend they end up taking. Yeah. Yeah. I think that there's a, a lot that's that to digest this week. I mean, not just that. I mean, you also got, you know, the NCHC gave up those points at home, but also Colorado College getting swept out of St. Lawrence. That's going to eventually could be one of those losses for the league that they don't like at the end of the year. So I, I think there was a lot of believe it or not, in October, some pairwise implications by some results this week. I mean, I am really, you you asked about the number one in the nation. I think it's Minnesota. And I, I'm really excited to see 
Minnesota is the number one team in the nation playing North Dakota this weekend. I mean, that could be uh, big time. That the energy and the electricity. I know we're going to talk about that later in the in the show, but wow, you got a number one Minnesota team and renewing the rivalry against the uh, the dreaded North Dakota Fighting Sioux Hawks, whatever. Wow, that could be. There's a lot going on in college hockey right now. Minnesota State, we mentioned them. They're going to be right up in the conversation in the poll this week. Uh, a sweep of Minnesota Duluth. That was a, an impressive weekend. I, I believe that was home and home that weekend. So uh, to get a, a home win and then a road win for Minnesota State, uh, terrific. And and there were there were a lot of questions about, you know, would they be back up there? How would goaltending be? But things are looking pretty good for them. And that just kind of underscores school's point about the NCHC. This this kind of felt like a, a bad weekend for the NCHC. Denver getting swept. Uh, North Dakota basically losing most of the points. Uh, then you look at Duluth, CC. I mean, th- there were some wins. I know there were wins on the NCHC slate, but that was kind. This is kind of a bad weekend in in, in the history of this league. We have not talked about many non-conference disaster weekends. It's usually the other way that they're dominating so much. I think that this, as you said, Derek, and I, I underscore this on broadcast this time of year all the time. Wins in October and results in October are just as important as results in March. You remember the ones in March a lot more. But these games, the, this is a weekend that might kind of come back and people say, ooh, if the NCAC had just had a good third week of the season, <laughs> a lot could be different. Yeah, I, I think you, you look at these and, and you, you never can. What's the old saying? You can never win a championship at the start of the year, but you definitely can lose yourself a championship uh, opportunity at the start of the year. Um, yeah, there's a lot of time left. and and. Let's not jump off the the the, uh, the cliff here on the NCHC because I think they're going to do pretty good. But that was a, a challenging weekend for them, and you know, underscored by a lot of points lost. And you have that weekend and this other weekend coming up with Minnesota. I mean, you're looking at North Dakota if going on the road to Minnesota, having to really get some get some points and get some wins for the pairwise to make up for this last week. And I, I didn't put this in the show notes today, but the NCAT still has a 621 winning percentage non-conference. That's still pretty good. I mean, they're, they're, they're very, very, very thankful to have gone uh, seven, two and two already against the CCHA. And, you know, we'll, we'll see where that is, you know, at the end of the season and division one independence, they're five and one. Uh, but 621, you can't really complain too much about that. But but I will go back and kind of underscore they've got to keep they've got to get their bleep back together here. And to your question, we started talking about Minnesota State here. The big question, obviously, was goaltending. All world Dryden McKay gone. Um, they haven't missed a beat. They when I saw your show notes, Jimmy, and said, who's number one? I immediately thought of them in Minnesota. I, I didn't even think of Quinnipiac, you know, and I know Quinnipiac had a great week. I think Quinnipiac had a little stumble early that that made me not even think of them. But I thought Minnesota State, Minnesota, I give the nod to Minnesota, but they're certainly moving on without uh, Dryden McKay, that's for sure. And they're keeping up the same game plan of 
really limiting the number of shots their goaltender has to see. You know, that's a, that's a system. And I, you know, coaches don't like to be considered systems coaches, but Mike Hastings knows how to uh, coach defensively. And they, half the reason that they don't give up a lot of shots is because they possess the puck for a good portion of the game. And when you're playing more than half the game in your offensive zone, you're not going to give up that many chances. That's what Minnesota state does so well is even when they're, it's a neutral zone game, they're winning the neutral zone battles. They're possessing the puck a lot of the time coming through the zone. So that is, that is a systems type of, uh, issue or, or not an issue. <laughs> That's a systems benefit there. I think for Minnesota state. And uh, I don't expect that to change anytime soon. As long as Mike Casings is behind the bench, they will know how to play, play with the puck and, and play a puck possession game. Well, another East West matchup had number six, Michigan hosting BU Friday and Sunday. It was a very early thumping being delivered by Michigan. A couple of uh, major penalties early on for the Terriers, a 9-2 win for Michigan on Friday, but some revenge and a comeback for the Terriers on Sunday, a 3-2 win, and they split the weekend. I was shocked by that score because their live stats were down for a little bit at Michigan, and I saw 0-0 or or one nothing, and then I'm like, okay, good game. I browsed around a little bit, like I said, on Friday, and then uh, next thing you know, I get the final, I'm like, wow. And a lot of goals scored in, in bunches. And I think that's a game that just got away from BU. And obviously you see what they did on, on Sunday. I didn't have a chance to see the game. I was traveling, but uh, you know, you, you were, that's a big time response in a difficult place to win. And we talked of, you know, you talked about Quinnipiac early. Usually you only get one opportunity to win on the road. And if you, you blow it, you know, it's tough to get that other one, but it's also tough to bounce back from a drubbing. So there's a, there's a lot of different things on the road that happened this week. You got, I said, Quinnipiac had the chance. They blew it. They came back and got game two, which shows a lot about them. This one, BU showed a lot of heart after, I mean, they could easily fold up the tent, probably a great day off in between chance to reset. I'm sure they went to the football game. Um, I'm sure there was a lot of uh, video, but wow, what a, what a statement coming back from a drubbing. Yeah. You, you might've just answered my question. I was going to pose a question to you, Derek. Was it good? I, I know when sometimes coaches, when they have bad losses, they just want to get right back at it. But that, that day probably held clear the heads of BU and, you know, Sunday, I didn't get to see the game, but following it on social media, I mean, it sounded like BU dominated the first period, came out down one, nothing again. That, that is something that can get into your head. You start getting frustrated. They got, you know, the game tied, fell behind two, one, but then two third period goals, they end up winning the game three, two, their only lead really of the weekend was the final few minutes of that game. Um, I, I have to think that having that Saturday in between, if you had to bounce right back after just getting your butt kicked on Friday night, it would have been a little bit more difficult than having that day off in between. And throw in the fact that it was an afternoon game. Those are always great um, because the crowd's not as into it. You know, they had a big football win on Saturday. I am sure the campus probably was out late. <laughs> that night. So they weren't as enthusiastic in the building. Um, I think there was a, a lot of good things for BU with that scenario, how it went. Yeah. You want to get back on the horse, but you also it's, 
you knew that you had another opportunity next day. You didn't have to wait a whole week. So they reset. They probably watched video. They probably, maybe they went to the football game. Maybe they were in bed early. You know, that campus was crazy. Whether you're a hockey player trying to sleep at 11 o'clock on a Saturday night after that, there's distractions. And then to be able to play in the afternoon where it's a little bit dull, you got NFL football. I don't know what the crowd was like, but there's a, I always like playing on, on Sunday afternoons sometimes as the road team, because it's always, uh, uh, you could catch the home team sleepy. Well, we've got another team to talk about, and that's UConn, and we'll do that after the break. USCHO Weekend Review is sponsored by DCU Digital Federal Credit Union. Visit dcu.org. Sometimes it's not about wanting a new car, it's about needing one. And I needed one I could rely on. So I got an auto loan with DCU. They offer the same low rates on both new and used cars, and I was able to borrow a little extra to make a used car as good as new. My auto loan from DCU means a ride I can finally rely on, which feels like a pretty big thing. What will DCU mean to you? Insured by NCUA. Membership required. Visit dcu.org. We're back with more of USCHO Weekend Review. Number 17, UConn, uh, probably is going to move up a bit in the poll. A scoreless tie on Friday in a terrific game, and then a 6-1 win versus number 11, Ohio State. And we said a lot of nice things about the Buckeyes last week. UConn now, their best start in program history. They're 5-0-1 on the season. I... I Moved them way up on my ballot. I, I'm pretty sure I had them a top 10 team and it might've been somewhere around nine or eight where I, where I put them on my ballot. But th- this is impressive. This is a good start for them. And they have not really had, you know, an easy go. They had travel up to Vermont right away. Uh, took two up there, uh, come back. They get a good overtime win last week. And then here you end up in, with a crazy game on, uh, Friday night. And I don't have the goaltenders names in front of me, but the Friday night goaltender, I think made around 45 or 47 saves and a scoreless tie. What did that earn him? Uh, A chance to sit on the bench on Saturday. Mike Cavanaugh went with a second, a different goalie on Saturday who was fantastic. So what is, what UConn has just proved to me is that they have totally answered the question of who their goaltender is or do they have goaltending? That's maybe the better question. They have great goaltending and now they're just finding ways to score goals. And, and when they get going, especially at home, and I know the crowd wasn't massive on Saturday. It was an afternoon game. Um, they only had about 25, 2,600 in, in Hartford that day. But uh, this is a team that as they get going and then boy, they're soon going to get into their, their new facility, which I heard from the commissioner, Steve Metcalf this week is just, just beautiful. And they've done a nice job with it. Um, I think that this is a team that could keep rolling. Will they hit bumps in the road because of inexperience? Yes, probably. But, you know, this is a great start for UConn and uh, it feels like onward and upward for them. Perfect timing right now. They're taking advantage of it. They're taking advantage of a new building. They're going to have a lot of enthusiasm. Um, they're they, which helped in recruiting. They got better players and they're taking advantage of some teams historically that we've talked about that are, in a downward cycle a little bit, you know, and, and UConn with the state school, with the name, they should be able to take this and, and run with it. This might be their, their best opportunity that they've had to make uh, 
some finals since they since they left Atlanta hockey. I mean, Mike Cavanaugh's got him in the right spot. They obviously invested money into keeping Mike this past year when he had overtures from BC. And um, this is perfect timing for them. It was the first game in a brand new building for Arizona State on Friday and the first home game for Lindenwood. And both times the home team won the opener. Let's start with Arizona State. A 2-0 win over Colgate on Friday and then dropping it 4-0 the next night. The enthusiasm right now for those programs is off the charts. The new baseball model uniforms that the Sun Devils wore and the crowd and the ribbon cutting ceremony. Um, what a what a neat atmosphere. And to follow up with Josh Doan, the hometown product, getting the first goal. I mean, I think that, that that'll that's what stories are made of. And uh, you know, and then the next night Colgate t- flipped the switch on him and turned it back around and um, you know, maybe they're not going to have the comfy, uh, Oceanside arena, everybody, they made everybody comfortable now and, uh, boss, maybe some of their home, home ice advantage. I don't know, but what a good, uh, weekend for them. And, you know, you mentioned Lindenwood, um, that's not a new building, but obviously they're stepping into division one, the Centene center, the blues practice facility is, is outstanding. And, uh, they had a great crowd there. I watched parts of that crazy game and they had a really good crowd there. And um, I think they followed it up a little bit on Sunday with probably just close to a thousand, but uh, hats off to both those programs opening up uh, new buildings for division one hockey. And um, we need more of that. We need more new buildings and we'll get that with UConn later in sacred heart as well. Rick Zombo's team, uh, a great comeback over air force. They were down six to two came back to win seven to six, five unanswered goals. Uh, Air Force head coach Frank Serratori said he was in shock and it felt like a kick in the gut. And uh, you, uh, since we know Frank well, you can probably even hear him saying that in your head. Well, you know, I, I look at both of these programs and, you know, Arizona State, it's been a long time coming. Lindenwood, obviously, this is the start. But as Derek said, that's a, that'll be a very nice facility that they're playing in. Uh, the blues practice rink. And, and uh, I think that there's a lot of upside for Lindenwood. I think that they've got a lot, they have so much support um, and it's a community that I think is starving for more hockey. Uh, Derek, you know, it well, as you're kind of your hometown, but uh, it, it feels like an area of the country that just wants more and more and more and, and Lindenwood, if they get the, if they start playing well, and I think getting some great players in there, and I think you have that ability to attract to a fun city. Um, I think that they have a lot of upside. Well, they scored and they capitalized on opportunities. I mean, I, I, I saw it six, two and, and didn't uh, um, with it being a later start and the time difference. I mean, I went, I went to bed. I'm not going to lie to you thinking that this is over. And then I watched the highlights and they have the ability to score. And you, you talked about it. The Centene Center is going to host a NCAA regional. Um, we know that coming up. St. Louis is going to host a Frozen Four. We know that coming up. So there is a lot of excitement for college hockey in St. Louis. You know, there's always rumors about another school starting college hockey in St. Louis, too. So it uh, um, there's a lot of enthusiasm for it. And, you know, we'll see how they can how they can take it forward. A little Atlanta hockey week, couple weekends coming up here. They're at AIC, at Bentley, and at Army, and then at Wisconsin. They only have, 
And this is, this is the tough part of being an independent. They only have, they have Stonehill in February. And I believe that's it for home games. Everything else is on the road. And you're going to find out a little bit about them. And this little stretch here, the next six Atlantic hockey games, I bet you every one of them took notice about how they scored and how they battled their force to the bitter end. That's definitely going to be a measure of where they are as a program because they're taking on uh, teams in the, the middle to upper half of Atlantic hockey over the next three weeks. Well, it's, it's a, it's a great start for them. And, and, you know, as I wrote with Jim in last week's TMQ, we really should be interested in these independent teams and want to see some success because the only way the sport grows is if they have success and can continue and eventually find a league. Something that really jumped out from Thursday through Sunday for the games going on, 48 games, 28 teams with five or more goals. And uh, Derek, we talked a little bit about this beforehand uh, while we were getting ready for this, but there are a lot of questions there why this is happening. Is it because skill levels are so high? Are people's power plays really effective? Has, is it a, a case of uh, a few major penalties giving teams opportunity? What is it that is uh, causing scoring to go up? And, and Jim, when we talk about that, as far as betting lines, uh, you should have taken the over on some of them where we thought maybe the under was better. Well, you've got just looking at the scoreboard listed, you got AIC with six, Holy Cross, uh, Sacred Heart five. Then you go Michigan nine. St. Cloud five, St. Lawrence five, Penn State. They're the ones who usually score a lot and they only had four. And then you got the seven, six game. I mean, go down the list of Minnesota State with six. And that's the scoring this weekend was crazy. And what is it? I don't know, Ed, because I don't think you can really. I'd love to see the numbers that you, the conferences get, which they do, they won't get till the end of the year. And the difference of major penalties compared to major penalties with the game misconduct or a DQ. I know we gave the referees an out a little bit, which is the right thing to do. Um, but does that mean they're calling more? I don't know the answer to that question. All I know is pucks are going in the net and red lights are going on. And to be a great team, you need to have stops. And you look at all these teams that gave up all these goals. They, they're, they're supposed to be good teams. Duluth, Air Force. I mean, those are teams. I mean, you got Anchorage that scored eight against UNLV. That's expected. But BU giving up nine. Those are those are some really those games got away from those teams in a quick hurry. And I would love to be a fly on the wall, like you said, about Frank Saratori and and that gut punch or gut, kick in the gut. But um, I spoke to Andy Berg, who's the assistant there after. I said, what happened? Did you talk to Frank? He said, absolutely not. I let Andy, he was Andy was on the road. And I said, did you talk to Frank? And he said, nope. He said, I'll, I'll let it, I'll talk to him after the, after game two. So I don't know. I don't know why the scoring is up, but obviously you're seeing a lot of goals. Well, I, I think Edgy might've hit part of it. I think there's some aberrations to weekends where teams are just sloppy, but. But all at once. You, well, I mean, so here's, here's some stats for you. Power plays. There are. 16 teams in the country right now with a power play percentage of 30 or higher. And you have 
25 teams in the country with a penalty kill percentage of 75% or worse. So there's a lot of special teams goals happening right now. And, and when you have what I think happens every year, you have a little bit more, you have a lot more penalties called early in the season. Teams aren't used to referees styles, points of emphasis, the way games are getting called. There's a little bit more emotion. Sometimes you see players taking bigger runs, major penalties getting called. These are leading to a lot of goals. This is, this is, the age of the power play right now. I still think as this season goes on, this levels out. I really do. I don't think we're going to see a weekend with this many goals again, um, or that often this season. And I do think that you will see more power plays level down to the 18 to 20% range and more of the penalty kills raise themselves up to the 85 or at least 80% range. But, you know, if you're giving up a power play, goal every four times you're on the penalty kill that's going to be a lot of goals and if you're scoring you know basically you know three power play goals every 10 times you go to the power play and there were teams that got 10 power play opportunities in games this weekend that's that's another big part of it so when you're getting those opportunities there's going to be an increase in goals that's what i think at least statistically that's what we saw this weekend i'm going to say this this is a recruiting season this is the the month of showcases and head coaches really do a lot with the power play. Um, usually the power plays, the head coaches always tinker and they let the assistants do the penalty killing. I don't know if, if it's a direct correlation, but like I said, this is showcase month. So a lot of the assistants are out on the road recruiting. Is there enough time being dedicated to the, power, the penalty kill compared to the power play? Maybe that's another reason why you're seeing the power plays so effective. I don't know. It's just a, a thought that I had when you were talking there. And it, it's really good to, it's a, it's a good debate. And I'm going to be at a showcase to where I can probably talk to some people and, and figure out if this is really happening because a lot of, like I said, a lot of the power play is the head coach's baby. Yeah. And I, I, I can tell you that I talked to Northeastern coach, Jerry Keefe before game number two, and we were going back to the LIU game. Where, which was played on the first possible night of the season. They gave up a couple of power play goals. And he said, we literally had not worked on our penalty kill once in practice. Or maybe he said it was, it was ridiculously limited. They just don't, didn't have the time. They were just getting you know, practices going and getting some time with the players. And that was, that was as he put it, was one of the least of his priorities. Let me offer a couple other things on the power play. One early in the season. Not as much video to see what the other teams are doing on their power play. And maybe the the increased skill level has allowed some some much more quick, some more creative power plays. Is that possible too? Yeah, I think people like to try things too. They like to try a little bit. Uh, they tinker a little bit and find out what works and what doesn't. Um, there's not a lot of video. But you always, usually penalty kill and they don't really... They have their set systems. You can go back and watch their penalty kills from previous years. Usually, if you're a really good penalty killer, you don't change what you're doing. So you've got a pretty good idea. You've got a history. You're starting to get into some league games and some rivalries that have played each other a lot of times. So you do have that. I don't know. Those, these are all really good points to figure out why power plays are in there. Like I heard Air Force was at like 40% 
going into the Lindenwood weekend. I mean, those are some high numbers and I'm sure they probably hit on a few, but you know, I imagine one of the things I can tell you, games are won and lost with special teams. So going into it, I can tell you next year, we're not going to, we're going to have a whole new group. We're going to have to work a lot on power play and penalty killing leading up to the games because that's where games can get away from you too. Yeah. Air Force is down to a paltry 33 and a third percent after their Lindenwood weekend. But I look at teams like New Hampshire, 44% on the power play Providence, 40% unsustainable Winnipeg, 37 and a half percent Western Michigan, 37 and a half percent. So yes, unsustainable is the right way to put it. And Western had a big weekend too against Bowling Green. They put up a boatload of goals. Um, it used to be 25% was considered uh, kind of very good with that. And now maybe 20% is considered good. You know what? We went a hundred. We went, we wanted to be a hundred percent on our special teams, combined. Um, which was, yeah, combined 80 and 20. Some, uh, but then you, if you want to be really good, you want to be 110, right. 105. And I think a hundred now is just average. I think you, to be really good at special teams, you got to be like 110. You know, if you're probably 85 and 25, that gets you to 110. That's pretty good. And that's where I think you really want to be. But anything in the hundreds, you're doing a pretty good job of it. If you're 85 and 25, you're probably talking a goal a game or or better difference from 100. So, yeah, that's that's huge. If you had an extra goal a game all season long, you'd do very well. I wouldn't be on the podcast with you. (laughs) Well, the final, final good news to talk about, Jim, you tabulated this number. Average attendance on Saturday night around college hockey, 4,165. It sounds like the fans are back. I mean, that's, that's phenomenal. And um, I might leave out a building here and I apologize if I do, but there were near sellouts at either sellouts or near sellouts at North Dakota. Uh, Wisconsin was up around 10,000. Uh, RIT played their downtown game, had 9,000 or so. Amherst was in the high 6,000s. Northeastern sold out. UNH was very close to a sellout. Um, even like Bentley, which is a smaller arena, they were only a uh, hundred or 200 away from a sell. I mean, there is a, a there's, there was a pretty pent up demand to see college hockey. I noticed it in the first weekend that there were some really big numbers out there. Um, but Saturday just really stood out to me. There were 16 games, non-exhibition games. And there were three games that had uh, attendances of a thousand or less one with only five fifty, I think. So when you're thinking about that 4,165 number, Yes, you have North Dakota with 11,860 or whatever their number is, but you also had teams with four, four, 500, 700, and 1,000. So, that, I mean, the balance out, you know, if you don't have the, take those three games out, and that average is probably over 5,000, closer to 6,000. Those are big numbers. Uh, fans are back, and that's a great sign for college hockey. College hockey's back, baby. All people have to do is see the sport and realize uh, the high skill level, uh, the speed, the physicality, and what a great atmosphere it is to bring kids to. You know, I, I talk about that with a women's game. If you have daughters that are playing youth hockey, get them out to a women's college game. That'll be an inspiration to them, and they'll see some some great players. I've got two daughters that play, and, uh, you know, I could tell you they they know most of the players in, in college hockey. They know most of the teams, and um, you're right. It is, a, it is what inspires uh, 
uh, female hockey to continue to grow at the grassroots level. So yeah, get out and watch all levels of college hockey. And you know what? I think we've always talked division one here, but hats off to Bethel for going out and beating the development program after the development program went five and oh. So all levels of college hockey, and they had a a standing room only crowd at uh, the Blaine super rink where Bethel plays. So, I mean, it's, it's growing. I mean, Liberty, you look at their crowds, they have, I mean, go down the line and college hockey is thriving right now and just need to keep it going. I had a a message uh, after the Saturday night RIT game from a dad who took his kid from a young age to those games. And those games got his son inspired to really pursue hockey. Uh, Kids playing juniors this year has a, a scholarship with an ECAC team next year and is going to be playing some very high level division one hockey from watching games that he started watching when he was about eight years old. So uh, yeah, if you got kids who are interested, get them out to one of those games for sure. Well, we're going to wrap it up right there. We covered a lot of territory this week and we'll do it again next week. USCHO weekend review is sponsored by DCU digital federal credit union. Visit dcu.org and find our podcasts at uscho.com slash podcasts or subscribe on your favorite podcast app. We're available on Apple Podcasts, iHeart, Stitcher, Spreaker, and Spotify. For Jim Connolly and Derek Schooley, I'm Ed Trefsker, and this has been USCHO Weekend Review. credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.